the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that, his, and that every intention of his thoughts, of his heart, was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis 6, 5 through 8. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. Isaiah 54, 9. He preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. 2 Peter 2, 5. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. 1 Peter 3.20 By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Hebrews 11.7 Thank you, Noah. Well, Noah and the flood. It's one of those stories that really elicits a lot of question, a lot of response. So before we get into that, I want to remind the men that next Saturday morning, Gary Habermas, who in my estimation is probably the best scholar slash communicator on the topic of the resurrection. If you, this is kind of one of those once-in-a-life opportunities, so I really want to encourage you next Saturday morning, if you possibly can, if you, if you want to know how do I talk to people about the reality of Jesus and what kind of proof we have of Jesus and the resurrection, the resurrection his claims, uh, every Easter I use Habermas probably more than anybody else I use. And so I really would encourage you to take advantage of that great opportunity, men, next Saturday morning uh, for our men's conferences, and then Saturday night we'll have uh, Scott Turney, who's a, just a real inspiring, dynamic speaker, and would be a great time to bring friends. So, great time. But with that said, here's one of those stories, here's one of those occurrences that are sometimes difficult for us to understand, explain, and for some, perhaps even believe. You know, people have different viewpoints and different uh, kind of different understandings, different positions different feelings about this story of Noah and the ark, of the flood. Some maybe, some of you were like me, maybe you were raised in church, and as a child you learned this story, and it's always been a neat Bible story, particularly when you tell it in church, particularly when you read it to your children. Maybe you even remember the song they taught us when we were kids. The Lord said to Noah, there's going to be a floody, floody. Lord said to Noah, there's going to be a floody, floody. Get those children out of the muddy, muddy children of the Lord. Maybe that's how you learned it. No, thank, well, thank you so much. Thank you. I hope we've all matured past that point. But nevertheless, uh, some of us, that may be our recollection of Noah. It was a little cute little preschool song about God sending a floody and getting children out of the muddy. But it's much deeper, and there's some much harder questions to answer than that. Maybe some of you would say, that, that's absolutely right, because I don't even believe in the whole flood thing. I don't get it. Who, who believes that? Well, it's interesting that now that geologists 
And uh, there's, there was, as a matter of fact, I read an article from this guy from the New York Times, which is not the beacon of evangelical conservatism by any means. Um, he's a professor up at University of Maine, and he was a glaciologist, which I'd never even heard of. And he was saying, you know what, we're pretty certain there was some type of flood that covered most of the world. We, we don't know if it was all exactly the same time, but there was something that happened because we keep discovering uh, this marine biology life, these fossils on top of mountains and high hills. <clears throat> How did it get on top of some of the highest mountains? How did that occur? How did that get up there? And so the only reasonable answer is at some point it was underwater. Um, again, many geologists will affirm that. Now, we don't know what they won't agree on is how did that get there? Was there the, the, the melting of the glaciers? Was uh, there a meteor that struck the ocean? Matter of fact, a lot of these happened between 5,000 and 10,000 BC. There's something that struck the earth uh, and called the oceans to roar, and it caused all this uh, seismic activity. We, we don't know. Uh, th- that's what the scholars would tell you, or and that's what a lot of the geologists would tell you. But there was something, something has occurred. So perhaps you believe that part, but then you get stuck on the whole divine judgment thing. That God would sing, send a flood and wipe everybody out. Come on, that's not the God I like. That's not my God. My God is love. My God is grace. That's the God that I'm worshiping. That's my God. And God would not do that. God does not, my God does not do divine judgment. My God does not do this whole justice thing. That's perhaps a God that you've made up in your mind. See, the God of Scripture, and a lot of times we don't like this, He is a God of justice and mercy, of love and of justice. And for Him to be a purely just God demands that He deal with a problem of evil and atrocity. We can't say that, well, he's only just for the nice people. He's the God. What do we do with that? What do we do with the atrocities that have transpired in our nation, in our culture, even in recent history? What about uh, what happened to Rwanda? You know, we had a, a missionary family from our church in Rwanda for about five years uh, serving there. And Greg, Greg and Tori Finley. And Greg will tell you, you know, some of the atrocities that occurred, some of the people that were murdered and butchered simply because they were from a different tribe, a different ethnic group, <clears throat> they were murdered hundreds and hundreds of thousands. And many of those people, they've never captured the ones who led a lot of these atrocities. So what happens on that? Do we just say, well, we believe in a God of love and grace. I guess they just got away with it. But aren't we glad we got a graceful God? That's because you weren't there. That's why you feel that way, because you didn't experience, because you haven't lost. Because as Mirslav Wolf uh, the professor at Yale University said, you know, I used to believe that God was just a kind, gentle giant. And he said, and then he's from uh, old Yugoslavia, Bosnia. He said, but then my village was burned, and then my relatives were killed and tortured, and my neighborhood, my community was completely wiped out. And I began to realize I demanded that there be justice. And if I didn't believe that God was going to bring vengeance, if he wasn't going to bring justice, then I was going to. And virtually every one of us felt that way, even as Christians, because we lived that horror. It's real easy in suburban Flower Mound or Lantana or Louisville or Highland Village or wherever it is you live to think, yeah, I'm not into that whole divine judgment thing, that whole just thing. That, doesn't, that just seems so primitive. 
That's because you've lived such a cushy life. <laughs> if you lived in uh, Sudan right now, You'd have a whole other... Matter of fact, Vol said, the only way that I could ever come to the place where I could forgive is knowing that God would ultimately make things right. So let's for a moment, let's maybe jump off our high horse and what God can't be and can't do and realize that God is bigger. He sees a bigger picture. He sees an eternal picture more than we just see in our little microscopic vision, microscopic vision right now. So as we think about that and as we look at this story, as we look at this event, let's consider the omniscience and the sovereignty of God. And uh, I, we're going to have four points that we're going to see here, four things that we're going to see as we talk about what God's way is best how that could be possible, first of all, there's four floods we're going to look at. The first flood is this. It's the flood of evil. The flood of evil. That evil has come into this world and evil was ever present at the time of Noah. It had to be dealt with. So the flood of evil. Then you see the flood of grief. You're going to see God's response to how he must deal with evil and how it breaks his heart how he mourns, how he grieves, this flood of grief. Then you see the flood of judgment because God knows what must occur and the divine judgment that occurs. And then we see the flood of grace, the flood of evil, the flood of grief, the flood of judgment, and the flood of grace. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 6, beginning with the fifth verse. Genesis chapter 6, beginning with the fifth verse. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. The corruption, the destruction of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So we see it's pervasive. It has so taken over mankind that mankind is deemed completely corrupt in this point. They are literally destroying themselves. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and it grieved his heart. Now, right here we see some of you, as you went through school, you studied something called what? Anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism, what is that? That is attributing human emotions, human feelings to God to the Almighty God. So we're saying the divine God of the universe. We're trying to understand, trying to assess. And the writer here is trying, Moses is trying to help us understand. So he's attributing these human emotions to God. And that's what we see here. So the Lord was sorry, the Bible. And again, this is our human. This is a way for us to understand it. Was sorry that he made man on earth and it grieved his heart. So that the Lord said, I will blot out man from whom I have created from the face of the land. I will blot out. Now, Paul Copen, who's a professor at uh, Atlantic University down in Florida, he's a uh, chairman of the philosophy department. He said, you know, this word, the Hebrew word right here, it actually can be uh, translated in this manner. Will wash out, clean out, wash out. I will wash out 
man. So it's the picture of this. Suppose you came to the church this morning and there was graffiti, uh, nasty graffiti all over the outside wall. But some of us got here earlier and we got the power washer and we washed it out. We removed it. We blotted it out through power, power washing. That's the picture here. So the Bible says, and the Lord was sorry he made the earth and it grieved his heart. So the Lord said, I will wash out, I will clean out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man, animals, creeping things, birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. Again, the anthropomorphism. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So we see a ray of hope here. We see a drop of hope because we see that Noah has found favor in the Lord. We continue. And the Bible says in verse 9, it's coming. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, so he's right before the Lord, and blameless in the generation. And then you see that phrase right there, the end of verse 9. Noah walked with God. Remember what Adam and Eve did before the fall? They walked with God. Noah is in communion. He's in relationship. He's in his proper place with God. The summum bonum, we talked about the ultimate reality, the ultimate purpose, the highest purpose was to walk with God, to be in relationship with God. And that's what Noah is doing. But the Bible says, Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. So the earth is corrupt. Literally, the earth is self-destructing. The earth is destroying itself, the Bible says, and it's filled with violence. Violence has become pervasive. So think again of genocide. Think of the genocide that happened in Rwanda. Think of the genocide that's happened in Sudan. And through the times genocide has helped in the history where violence becomes commonplace and there is continual killing for whatever reason that you have deemed necessary or want or even just something that it becomes so pervasive that you want to do it. You know, they were doing, a, I was reading a book a couple of weeks ago uh, about some of the things that happened to the Jews in the Holocaust. And we, I even mentioned this phrase a couple of weeks ago. You know, first of all, you do sin, then sin does you. And uh, this book was quoting this one author. He said, you know, first we killed them because they were Jews, and then we killed them because we wanted to. At first it was offensive, but then it just became a part of our nature. And as we look, you see, you see how your hearts could be transformed into that amount of evil. And that's exactly what's happened. Because specifically, what is he talking about? It's filled with violence against the innocent, against the weaker. So you see this mode um, that we really talk about here in life a lot of times today, in our culture today. Hey, look, if there is no God, like Nietzsche said, uh, the famous philosopher Nietzsche said, hi, if there is no God, then who's to say there is a moral authority? There is no moral authority. Nietzsche didn't believe there was a God. Guess who studied Nietzsche? Hitler. So what did he believe? Well, same thing. Nietzsche would apply to uh, the natural selection and natural, uh, just the natural life of the earth. And he would say, all right, big viruses eat little viruses. Um, big fish eat little fish. Big animals eat little animals. So why does it matter? Who's to say some humans can't consume other humans? Humans can't kill or take over other humans. 
that's by your own mind. What authority do you say that on? If there is no God, you don't have an authority. It becomes what every man thinks or what that particular culture thinks. And so you see right here, violence, hey, it's established by the culture. It's established by humanity. And God sees the self-destruction that is occurring. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And then the end of that verse says this. It says, and behold, uh, I will destroy them with all of the earth. That's a hard message. It's a hard lesson. But if we stop and say, you know what? I don't believe that there's divine justice, then we've got more problems. Because then we have to say, there is no authority, or this is what I think, and what authority do what you think? What about those who are in control? And then you find yourself in these predicaments, having to defend what each culture justifies as right and wrong. I believe God gave this to us for a purpose, for we see in it. Let's go over it again first. The pervasiveness of the evil, the flood of evil. It was so corrupt. It was so intense. The violence was so horrific that God, and part of this certainly is speculation on my part, but perhaps God saw that, you know what, even Noah and his family, the righteousness that does exist is going to be wiped out. So God hit the reset button. We're going to start over again in his mercy and his grace. But it came at great grief and great cost to him. Just as Isaiah 49 talks about, can a mother who, allows, who has her baby nurse at her breast ever forget the love she has for that child? This is a picture of God seeing his people, knowing what he must do in order to, in order to preserve humanity. So God hits the reset button. And what happens? Noah goes in. His children goes in, the animals go in, and what else goes in? Sin goes in. It doesn't perfect humanity. This was a great example of social engineering that doesn't work for the long term, but it at least continued the species. And so God, in his mercy and his wisdom, his divine sovereignty, does this, and he brings about judgment here on earth. Let me say this, God always brings about judgment. The Bible says that every sin will receive a just recompense or reward. Now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but outside of Christ, that condemnation, that judgment will come. There will be, as R.G. Lee, the famous preacher, used to say, payday someday. Either Jesus pays the price, as we sang a while ago, Jesus paid it all, or we ultimately pay for it. So, there's the flood of uh, evil, there's the flood of grief, and then there's the flood of judgment. But also, there's the flood of grace, the grace of God that he selects and he saves Noah and his family. He protects them and they start over. It's a beautiful picture of the grace of God as he works through the hope that is given there. But you might be saying, but what about for me today? How do I live that? How does that affect me? What do I glean for today practically? Because I've struggled. I've suffered. There are hard things in my life that haven't been fair. People have taken advantage of me. People have hurt me. People have left me. People have died. I've lost much. How do I understand that? How does that work for me? How do I understand this flood of grace that you're suggesting 
today. And I would say there's one very, very important word that we must remember. Uh, matter of fact, Abraham Heschel, one of the greatest Hebrew theologians uh, of the 20th century, said this. He said, the most important word in the Hebrew language is this, remember, remember. It's not just pulling out some old memories. It's pulling out, in essence, who you are and how you've become who you are and what you are in your very nature. He said, remember, remember, you're sunum bonum, the ultimate highest authority. Remember, and here are four things for us to remember. Number one, that God sees us. You know what Nietzsche believed? Nietzsche believed that God didn't see anything because he didn't there. Hitler didn't believe that God sees. Mussolini didn't believe that God he didn't. They don't believe God sees him. And when you don't think anybody looking, anybody cares, it makes any difference, then you can do what you want. But God sees us. So that's the negative side, that God sees us accountability. But the positive side, God sees us all the time in every situation, in your suffering, in your heartache, when you're mistreated, when you're taken advantage of. You know, there's a great story, and we'll talk about it in a couple weeks, the story of Hagar and Ishmael. Hagar uh, is a young girl who's taken as an Egyptian slave, and she's taken by Abraham, and she grows up with Abraham, serving his family, serving him, and then one day she's old enough that um, Sarah, Abraham had received the promise, promise that through you a nation will be born, a nation will be started that will be a light to all the other nations. There's a promise been to Abraham, but he's old now. Sarah's old now, too old, she thinks, to have a child, so she says, let's help God out. So she goes and gets her maiden, her servant, and says, all right, here, Abraham, take her and have a child by her. Hey, you don't think, look at, look at Hagar's life. I'm born a slave. You think she had? You think she was going? Yeah, I'd like that. That'd be a good idea. I think I'd like to. She's not given a big choice on this. And here's the God that he's following across the land. She knows about that. She has the child Ishmael. At first things go well, but then they have another son, and things aren't so well. And Sarah said he's going to have to go. And ultimately Abraham puts out Hagar and Ishmael. They are out into the desert, and she's thirsting, and she's crying out to the God that Abraham has been worshiping, crying out to the God who she hopes sees, and she cries out to him, Save me, O God. And he saves her. He sees her. And what does she call him? El Roy. You know what that means? The God who sees. The God who sees me in my suffering, in my distress. God sees me. He's El Roy. The God who sees. Remember, he is El Roy. He sees you. He sees your situation. He knows. Number two, remember to be aware of misbelief. Misbelief. What do do you mean by misbelief? I mean this, that when we struggle, when there are concepts that come about, when we hear about atrocities, when we hear about things that don't match up with what we want to believe about God and how our life should be, it's easy for the evil one to come in to say, see, he doesn't see you, he doesn't care, he doesn't know, or he's not powerful enough, or maybe he's not even there, or you don't matter, the misbelief. He gets you to, just like he did with Adam and Eve, look, God just doesn't want you to be like him. He just wants you to, don't listen to him. You will have wisdom. You'll have everything you want if you just go this way. Don't listen to him. And so what happens? We see the fall of humanity. And God and the evil one still suggests that message to you today. 
but we must believe the truth. We must remember the truth, the ultimate truth, that in the beginning, God created. He created all of mankind. He created the garden. He created Adam and Eve. He created Noah. He created all humanity. And he loved them so much that he desired to be in relationship with them, in fellowship with them. But because of our sin, we broke fellowship. We said, I don't want you. I don't want your your way of living. I don't want your authority. I will go my own way. And then we see what happens in Noah's day, and we see what happens in our day. We see all through Scripture, we see the cycle repeating itself over and over again. And God says, well, I'm going to make a way where there is no way. So he sent his son to suffer and die upon the cross, to live the life that you and I should have lived and died the death that you and I should have died. And so the Bible said there could be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So he shed his blood so it was placed upon him. And that when we put our trust and faith in Christ, we are forgiven. We are made clean. The judgment of God comes upon Christ. And therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the ultimate truth. But it doesn't end there for the believer. There's one other thing you ought to always remember when the struggles and the harshness of life comes. And it's this. He is the God who redeems. The God of redemption. Not just your salvation, not just your soul, but for the believer, he redeems all things, all suffering for those who love him and seek him. For all her, the atrocities, I don't know how he does it, but this is what I know, that he will ultimately judge and redeem. That's what a just God does. That's what a just judge does. How does he do that? How do I do that? How does that happen? Well, it may not happen here on earth. As we, we talked about some of those atrocities, you know, some of the things that happen, even as I think about things that are local that happen, you think about the Amber Alert, every time that alert goes off. You know what that's for? That's for a little girl named Amber who was about eight years old who was assaulted and killed, and guess what? They never found her killer. Never. Every time that thing goes on, her killer's never been found. So how is God going to redeem something like that if he's not caught? First of all, if he's just, that sin has to be paid for. Secondly, how could God redeem it? Let me say this. I've shared this before, and I don't fully know. By the way, this is speculation again. But here's what I know for a fact. So many times we go, you know, I get to heaven, I want a big house, and I've been good. I've been trying to be good, so I got a big house, and I got a bigger house. That's very Western of you. It's very 21st century consumeristic mindset that I'll get a big house in heaven. And what's funny is a lot of people get big houses, can't wait to get a smaller house, so they can quit cleaning that big house. But nevertheless, you know, and you won't feel that way in heaven. So it's, it's not so much about the mansion. That's just kind of something we've just kind of thrown in and added. It, literally, when John 14 is talking, he's talking about rooms, but I digress. Let's come on back. And as we're talking about this, here's the thing to understand. It's understanding the beauty in the immensity of heaven. It's for eternity. And here's what we know, that God is going to recreate a, a new heavens and a new earth. And it's going to be to the fullest desires of our heart that we've ever hoped or imagined and more. And some people are going to experience it even more deeply and more significantly than others. That's what I think God is talking about when he talks about the crowns of righteousness. And when we talk about heaven and enjoy it, 
Everybody's going to be happy. You're not going to be in a shack and go, I'm, I sure wish I'd done a better job and got a bigger house. I wish I'd got a better car. You, you're, none of that's going to happen. You're going to be happy. But I liken it to this, and I've shared this illustration before. When I had a chance to go to Tanzania on the way back, we stopped in Amsterdam, and I had a chance to go to a museum there with all these Van Goghs, and it was, it was magnificent. And uh, I went in there. I was there for like an hour and a half, which was significant time for somebody like me who's never studied art. And I thought, man, that's, that's really cool. You know, and I went through there, and I got through so fast, you know, I, I came back and I saw a lot of the people I'd started with, they were still like on the first painting. And then one lady's weeping, they're looking at this, I'm thinking, those are beautiful flowers, but, and I appreciate that, but I gotta go, I don't know anything else to do, I've already seen this. Because I've not studied art, I'm not an artist, I'm pitiful at it. I don't understand the painstaking time and all the effort and the suffering and the education and the discipline. I don't get it. I don't understand. I just think that's a nice picture and I couldn't do it and that's really cool. Let's go to the next one. You know what I mean? Because I'm so immature in my art appreciation. I'm so ignorant. So I don't fully get to Do you think people who really know it, they can sit there and move and cry and study and be overwhelmed? You think they enjoy it more? Absolutely. It's so much more meaningful. It has so much more powerful than a bozo like me. Hey, I got a clue for you. I got, a, I got some recognition. Don't be a bozo in heaven. Start right now, man. And thank God, even your sufferings, that God, you don't want me to be a bozo in heaven. You want me to fully appreciate this. Like you are... We can't understand the blessing right now. All things work together for good for them that love the Lord and call and court and purpose. Some of that we're just never going to get, and it's never going to make sense to us. But here's what I believe. I believe that God ultimately redeems. And those who suffer much will love much deeper. It will be much more beautiful. It will be more powerful, more significant. We'll all be excited when we all get to heaven. I don't know what that song means. But when we get there, but what we do know is that God will wipe away the tear of every eye. And for those who've suffered much, that will be greater joy. So when I think of my brothers and sisters in China, in the Mideast, in India, in Africa, who suffered because of their faith, how much sweeter will it be to be in the presence of Jesus and peace and glory as they are redeemed and reunited with those they loved who were young, who were old, who were brothers and sisters and children and parents. That will be a blessing that we can never understand here on earth, but one day will be fulfilled through the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Remember. Remember this. Remember that God sees you Remember to be aware of misbelief. Remember what the ultimate truth is. And remember God redeems. Would you pray with me? Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Christ. I want to invite you to say, God, I want to give you myself. I want to believe. Lord, would you come into my life? I want to know you. I invite you to pray that prayer today. To recognize your need for him because of our sin that separates us from him. But he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Maybe you're here as a believer and it's, life has been hard. Things have been tough and you just don't get it. And you've fallen away through misbelief. Remember the truth. 
Remember the God who loves. Remember the God who sees and remember the God who redeems. He's still the God of Noah and the God of Abraham, the God of today and the God for eternity of all creation. Do you know him? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your favor. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your justice as well as your grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Amen.